of you knew that I play guitar? Anybody here know that at all? You doubt? Now, I know some chords. I've always wanted to be like Mark, though, you know? This is his guitar. And a guitar has how many strings? How many? And what happens if they're in tune? What? Sounds well. But you got to have somebody to play it, though, right? Yeah, I used to be in a, in a rock band at one time when I was a kid, and then played later in college, and uh, then had children, and I had a guitar, and I gave my, my guitar to my son, and I have yet to see it because it went from my oldest son, then he got his really nice guitar, and then gave it to my youngest son, and my youngest son still has my guitar. Kind of like my golf clubs. I always wind up with the Suns. I don't know why that is. The only thing I've kept and will not give are my guns. What do you think about that album? You know, like that. So anyway. But a guitar is a great instrument. But you know, if you try to tune it and get it a little out of tune, how does it play? How does that sound? Huh? You can know the chords... But if it's not in tune, it's not going to play the way that it was designed to play. Right? Life is a lot the same. And Jesus is about to give us six attitudes that are highly important. Six attitudes in which he is going to call us to fine-tune these attitudes so that as we do so, our life will operate as they were supposed to be and intended to operate. And if you don't, you can play life, you can do life, but life won't go as it was designed to go. And so it's important that we understand that, that having the, these six attitudes are very important to, to the lives that God has called us to live in the righteousness that he's described that's available to those who are his disciples. And so we're going to go to the text today, and we're going to talk about heartstrings, fine-tuning the attitudes of the heart. And Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount is going to give us six attitudes. Today, we're going to deal with one. And the one attitude that we're going to deal with today is the attitude called anger. Anger. I wanted to name this, this study anger management. And, and the reason why I think is because when we hear the subject anger, most of us are thinking about somebody who should be here, or maybe somebody who's in here who needs a message on anger. And I'm not going to ask for a testimony. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. If you know somebody that needs this, think of their name right now. That's usually what we do when we hear a sermon about anger. Or the second response is, I should have skipped today because this is a subject that I don't want to hear about and later be held accountable for. The reality is that all of us deal with anger. Now, the reason why I love this poem, and I shared it several years ago, some of you were not here and some of you were, but you've slept since then. One of my favorite poems is entitled The Lady. 
And the reason why I like it is because there are times, I think, where most of us think that, that anger is mostly a male problem. Right, ladies? Right, guys? Oh, y'all are being really cautious today. And uh, we also think that maybe moms don't have a problem with anger. I saw a mom this week on Facebook. She put on there, finally, I got my freedom because her kids are in school. And I wondered about the long summer of angry emotions that she had to deal with for having lost her summer because her kids are not in school. Uh, That's why they have summer school, I guess. But anyway, here's what the poem by Jay West, this is what he says. My mother was a lady. She went to the finest school. She would never swear or cuss or ever act like a fool. She always wore a pretty dress with gloves and matching hat. My mother was a lady until I came to bat. Are you ready? Now, something about baseball must have drove mom insane, for when the ump called strike one, she called him a dirty name. You're a stupid so-and-so and blind as a bat. I bet you don't even know where the strike zone is at. Strike two called the umpire. I heard a roar from the stands. Kill the ump, my mother yelled, like a general in command. When the ump called strike three, I thought that he dropped dead. My mother threw a pop bottle and hit him on the head. The crowd came out of the stands. That started a great big fight. My mom was right in the middle. She was a pretty sight. I don't think she even realized the umpire was my dad. Every dad had to take a turn to umpire at least one game. My dad recovered very nicely, but I won't ever be the same. (laughs) One thing we never talk about is the time mother spent in jail or why it took my father so long to post the bail. (laughs) I bet if their pastor saw them in the office right after that. Anyway, my mother is a lady, and that she will always remain as long as we don't take her to another baseball game. (laughs) We all have a problem with anger. If you have a computer, you've been angry at a computer. And sometimes the best way to fix it is nothing like a good hammer. If you're married, you've had a problem with anger. If you're connected to a family, a biological family, there are times in that family where you will experience anger. If you're a part of a faith community like a church, the people you're closely connected to, even spiritually, who have good intentions sometimes will act inappropriately and in ways that will hurt you. And as a result of that, you will have and experience anger. Chances are where you work, there are times when you've been angry at someone. And the reality is that all of us have a problem with anger. The problem is when we deny the reality of our emotion called anger and we, 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 we sweep it under the rug, we deny its existence, we, we let it fester, and the end result is catastrophic to even the strongest of marriages, the best of families, and the finest workplaces, and even the most loving churches. For anger has been at the root of killing many and most relationships that many people hold dear in their lives. 
And if we are not careful as human beings, we will allow the emotion of anger to to carry us down the course or the path to the place in which it will be so destructive that it will even kill the people that we love. I'm thinking about Missouri right now and the anger that's in the streets. I'm thinking about the anger of ISIS and the anger they have towards us as Christians. And I'm convinced that the, the, the wars that we experience are, as res, are a result, most of them, because of anger in man's heart toward another man. And Jesus is about to help us understand that at the root of murder is anger. For he's talking to some people who have misunderstood the law or the commandment of God. He's going to now give us six illustrations, and this is one of six, in which he's going to help us and them understand that righteousness comes from the heart. And most of the people that he's addressing, especially the scribes and the Pharisees, did not believe that they had a problem called murder because they had not physically murdered someone. And Jesus is about to give them what God intended in the spirit of the law, that you may not physically murder someone with your hands, but you certainly can murder them in your heart. For it is in the heart that sin resides, and it's with the heart where sin then is exhibited by our hands and by our actions. And he's about to bring now to the reality of their sinful condition in this whole concept called murder. But before we do, I want us to look at Unger's definition of what anger is in the definition of what we're talking about. Look at the text up here on the screen. It says, the new Unger's Bible dictionary states that anger is sinful when it rises too soon. Without reflection, when the injury that awakens it is only apparent, when it is disproportionate to the offense, when it is transferred from the guilty to the innocent, when it is too long protracted and becomes vengeful. There is a thing called righteous indignation, which is anger, and the Bible talks about God getting angry. But God, even though in his anger, never sins. And God is saying that we should, we should understand that there's a righteous indignation, which is anger. But if we are not careful, anger can be, even though it's righteous, can be acted in a wrong way and overreacted and become sin. And there is also a thing called anger that is a sinful anger that must be avoided. So there are two types of anger, a righteous indignation, which is the right kind of anger, which God has, which we should have from time to time, when injustice is being committed against someone else. But there is a wrong kind of anger that we must completely avoid because of the circumstances that anger brings, not only in our personal lives and in the lives of the relationships with the people that we care most about. What people don't realize is anger is more destructive to the person that is angry than to the people that they're angry toward. But somehow we miss that because we revel in our emotion called anger. Well, what, is, what does the Bible say? A couple of verses in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22. The Bible said, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Interesting passage, isn't it? Here it talks a man that is giving to much anger. He's quick to become angry. His emotional state is quickly lit up. And as a result of that, notice he, this anger then lodges in his heart. The consequence is that he then acts like a fool. In Ephesians 4, 26, 27, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sin go down, sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. 
He says here that we are to be what? Quick. Do not be quick in your spirit to become angry. You know, sometimes uh, we're around people and we know people and sometimes we're like this, that we are so emotionally drawn that in just the drop of a hat, all of a sudden, and the people around us are just completely living and walking in fear. If you had a dysfunctional family member or a dysfunctional family uh, or, or maybe a dysfunctional parent, you learned their body language, and by their very body language, you knew to avoid them, or you knew when you could not get away with certain things, and you would probably more than likely hide from them because you know at just the drop of a hat, rah, it would come out. Notice in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. The angry in the early part is an angry that is righteous indignation. It says that there is a righteous anger. There is a right kind of anger. But it says we need to be careful because even though we possess the right kind of anger, we can react wrongly to the feeling and the emotion of anger in a sinful way. So guard that. And the second part of that verse says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's irritation, anger. Because someone has said something or done something or failed to do something, you were agitated, you were irritated, you were exasperated with them. And because of that, now this emotion of anger is there. And it says when that anger rises up within you in that relationship that you care very much about, or even that acquaintance at work or wherever they are, that we are to make sure that we don't let the sun go down on that anger. Why? Because we'll give opportunity for the devil. You know, the devil loves to divide and conquer. And I'm convinced that the root of most divorces in marriages today, there's a root of anger. Because there's exasperation and irritation and disappointment and hurt and pain because they either did something or failed to do something. And many times that partner doesn't even know that they've done it. And bitterness begins to swell up and it destroys the relationship. And Satan wedges into that relationship and begins to pull apart that relationship and we see the dissolve of the family and that loving relationship. James 1, 19, 20 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is good advice and we could just stop there today and go home and practice this, couldn't we? He says here in the text, be quick to hear. That's hard, isn't it? Be slow to speak. That's even harder, especially when the emotion of anger is coming up because the first thing that we, that we see that, that is engaged is not only the heart, but it's the mouth, isn't it? And be slow to become angry. Why? To avoid allowing anger to not only be sin in our heart, but to reflect that sinful heart and create actions of sin and damage and hurt the relationship, not only with that individual, but with God. Because when we're angry with each other, we cannot enjoy a loving, intimate relationship with God. Because we are created in the image of Christ, in the image of God. And in the image of God, when we're angry at our brothers and sisters, we're, we're also at enmity with God. And so we can't have the right relationship with God if we're not right with each other. It's, it's impossible. 
And we're going to see that in this text as Jesus addresses that. So what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount with this first attitude called anger? What does he say about anger? Let's take a look at it. He compares it to murder. Now, look at the text, and let's look at verse 21. There is a principle, first of all, that we need to rebuild. Jesus is about to rebuild the principle. There is a, a tradition of man that is being propagated, that is being preached, that is being proclaimed, that is being uh, claimed by the self-righteous. And so in this text, Jesus sort of gathers them in like a, a mother hen into the, 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 her, her, her web, sort of her, her wing, sort of bring them along because he knows that if he can bring them along, sort of hook them, so to speak, he can then nail them. <laughs> and I think that's what he's doing here. And so he talks about the act of murder. Notice the act within itself. You have heard that it was said to those of old. You have heard. Again, we talked about that last week. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were proclaiming and preaching the traditions of man rather than the scriptures of God. And so they had heard from of old. It's been a long time. They have heard these old sayings. You shall not murder. What commandment is that? Anybody know? The sixth commandment. Go look it up if you don't know what it is. The sixth commandment, not to kill. He said, thou shalt not murder. The word murder here is a murder. It is the taking of a life for personal gain. It's not talking about war. It's not talking about someone invading your home and you're protecting your life and the life of your family and your children. It's talking about killing someone for personal gain. The taking of a life out of anger and personal gain. So he says, thou shalt not murder, and whoever murders, kills for personal gain, will be liable for judgment. And they're going, that's right. Amen. And they mend it because, you see, they were looking in a, in a mirror in regard to the reflection and interpretation of this law, and they believed themselves to be living out this law. We are not guilty of murder. Our hands have never taken the life of another person for personal gain. Look at my self-righteousness. I've lived up to this law. He set them up. Now he's about to take them down. Verse 22, but I say to you, I, Jesus, equal with God, preexistent before time with God in heaven, who now became word in the flesh, dwelling among men, according to John 1. I, the author, the almighty, the authoritative one, equal to God. But I tell you what me and my father have to say about that. But I say to you, who are here, that everyone, that is, that is, he qualifies everyone. There's, there's no distinction here. There's no favoritism. There's no leaving somebody out because of their position or because of any self-righteous claim that, I, that they have. But I say that everyone, everyone, scribe and Pharisee alike, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And it blew their minds. Jesus is putting anger and murder on the same playing field, equally level. You may not have murdered someone with your hands, but you have murdered someone in your heart. And that is the same thing as taking an instrument or a weapon and killing them physically. 
What do you, how do you think they react about, about that? Uh, unfavorably, obviously. And Jesus is sort of now adjusting then this 